So I just really went down that rabbit hole and I mm-hmm. started then. And so then other people were like, you seem to know a lot about this and I've got a show opening up or I have a book that I just wrote. Can you help me promote it? It really grew from there. And then I started Downstage Media. If you've got, if you've got to launch your book, if, you've, if you're going to launch your show, if you're going to do anything and you're just trying to let spread the word about your stuff, choose simply two platforms and go deep on those platforms, learn what you can, try to do like, you know, some best practices, two or three, but don't freak out about them because it's in the freaking out that you're either going to waste a lot of time or you're going to get burnout so fast. Happy Monday, everybody. Hope you guys are doing well. Hope your weekend went well. Uh, Monday, this is the first day of my MBA program. So I am running around like a chicken with my head cut off. (laughs) It's been bananas. But the good news is you guys aren't going to miss any episodes. I have some awesome stuff planned and truly it's going to be a lot of fun. So make sure you stay tuned. Make sure that you're always hitting that subscribe button if you're on Apple, hitting the follow button if you're on Spotify and just staying up to date. And the best way to stay up to date with the podcast is to sign up for the newsletter. There will be a text community coming soon. Uh, I'm going to use this week to get that all hammered out. So with all that being said, let me introduce my next guest for today, Annie Schiffman, who is the owner of Downstage Media. Uh, This is a media company that focuses primarily on the arts, but uh, Annie has done a lot of marketing elsewhere. But what is going to be really amazing about this episode is this ties so much to business. One of the big takeaways I got from this episode was to prepare for your business like every day is opening night or starting your businesses like opening night. It was absolutely wonderful. She gave so many tips and tricks in this podcast. You guys are going to love it. So without further ado, Annie Schiffman, thank you all so much for listening. And please, please remember to share this with your friends. Enjoy. Welcome, everybody. This is Don Jensen, and you're tuning into The Thinking Project. All right, well, thank you for joining me, Annie. I'm so excited to be here, Dalton. <laughs> I am too. I You got to remind me, um, I know I took a little bit, there's a little bit of a lag there, but um, you got to remind me how we met. Was it through okay. was it through, through Matchmaker FM? I got to put the FM on there. We met through Twitter. Oh, that's so, right. Yeah, yes. because um, David Rock, aka D Rock, yes, he and I have um, crossed paths for years. I oh, live wow. about ten minutes away from Gary Vaynerchuk's store, Wine Library. And so, yeah, so I have, um, you know, I first read Gary Vaynerchuk's books years and years ago, and he was, he always does appearances at the store. And so, um, you know, and before he was huge, huge, you could really kind of bump into him a little bit more. So um, I did, and I got to know David Rock. And so he and I follow each other on Twitter. And so then a few, I don't know, a few weeks ago, David Rock was like, who's got a podcast? Who needs a guest? Who wants yes. to cross paths? And that's how you and I cross paths. Yeah, that's so cool. I, I do. I follow D-Rock. I follow Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, never had, you know, and I've been a part of like his discord and I just love like what he does. And I follow a few of other people like that. But 
Um, but D-Rock is cool because he'll post every once in a while, like, what does everybody need? And his his Twitter feed just blows up. Um, but that's cool, especially because I, I don't mind where my guests come from. And I think the more unique and the more diverse the the lineup on the show is, you know, is better for everybody. And I think that's really cool. And so now from what from our conversation before we hopped on this podcast, um, you own downstage media that helps uh so gives marketing strategies and helps engage audience for broadway right for theater for off-broadway for broadway yeah i mean anywhere i I like to say the performing arts and nonprofits because if it's a touring show if it's a dance studio if it's a nonprofit for the arts if that's really kind of where Mm -hmm. i fall and what I love, I I would say 80% of my clients are in the performing arts space. And then Mm. I have a bunch of clients that are outside of that, that are doctors or lawyers or editor-in-chiefs of magazines or whatever. But mostly people know that if they're going to be engaging with me, there's going to be some theater talk. Okay. (laughs) That's great. So, so then you are, you do have like other businesses that hop in there. You mentioned doctors and lawyers and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's really cool. So now the question um, is how did you, so you got into marketing, how did you get into marketing? And then how did you decide that performing arts and and nonprofit art, you know, uh, was the kind of the niche that you would find yourself in? Well, it was really almost the other way around. So I was a professional actor for about 15 years I was in a show in New York City that would perform four and five times a week. And I was looking for a little bit more control than the actor's life gives you. Um, And at the time I was in a show, I was in an improv show um, on 53rd Street. And we would oftentimes get these corporate gigs, they're called. So like if you've ever been involved in a company and they have like the big company meeting And sometimes they'll have performers there to lighten the mood a little bit or to go in between the big CEO's speeches, you know, then often. So that might be me. Right. So and um, I would perform there with them or sometimes like if you've ever had improv training so that way you could get out. You probably Dalton had this as like a sales guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever had like improvisers come and say, like, here's how to get out of your script and blah, blah, and listen, active listening? You know what? Yes. Uh, uh, I, I haven't had them come to like my, like, I never had the company do it, but I've, I've attended some seminars and like webinars that, that do bring that, like, how do you make this script your own? Yeah. Things like that. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So I was doing that one time and, I was backstage and there was this marketing guy who was on stage and he was talking about this new thing called Twitter. And <laughs> I was backstage and I was like, are you all listening to this? Because I think that we can use this to get more people to our shows. Mm-hmm. I think that this could be a really good tool. And again, this was like more than 10 years ago, like when Twitter had just started. Mm-hmm. And I became really fascinated in social media, because it was just a new way of letting people know about your shows, of spreading the word about your shows. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I really decided to dive in deep. And then, you know, a couple of years later, I realized that I didn't want to 
live the life where you're waiting for your agent to call you and then you do an audition and you're waiting to get a call back or you're waiting to get the gig or whatever it is. And I knew I wanted a little bit more control. So I decided to take a lot of online classes. That's where I started um, following Gary Vaynerchuk because Mm -hmm. he gave at the time so much practical advice for how you are able to use social media like the right way. And of course he had his books and stuff like that. So I just really went down that rabbit hole and I Mm -hmm. started then. And so then other people were like, you seem to know a lot about this and I've got a show opening up or I have a book that I just wrote. Can you help me promote it? It really grew from there. And then I started Downstage Media when uh, both of my kids were in school five days a week. So you have kids, so you know Mm -hmm. what that's like. And um, there's a big difference between when they are in school and when they're not in school regularly. So then, so the the first year that my, that's why my company launched in September, because that's when my kids started school. And um, so, yeah, that's, and I just, at at first I wasn't sure. I just thought, oh, I'll just do social media. But then I realized I was also doing some writing for a online news publication called Yes Broadway. And I realized then that I knew more about theater than most people do. I had gotten my BFA in theater from NYU. I like I knew theater inside out and backwards. So that's when I was like, you know what? I know a lot about theater. I am learning a lot about marketing and social media marketing these are the people I know. This is the world I know. Let me just put these two aspects together and Mm -hmm. really, really lean into that. So that's how I decided to make the performing arts my niche. Wow. That's an incredible story. I think, I think, (laughs) I think the best part about that is a lot of people really thought that like, well, and Twitter specifically kind of like went up and then it had a big, it had a big fall off. And now it's kind of like Twitter's kind of back, I feel like. I think because I think a lot so of too. like what's going on with Facebook and I and really what's going on with LinkedIn. I don't know how you feel about LinkedIn, but I can I can't really stand it that much. I get on there just just to like see what's going on sometimes. Yeah, I I well see the thing is I like to be I like to grow on two platforms. I like to build an audience on two platforms that okay. aren't owned by the same company. Right? So I I feel as a one woman show, as a solopreneur, I don't have time to build more than that. So I focus on two and I try not to make them owned by the same company. So not Facebook and Instagram, for example. Yeah. Um, Okay. Yeah. Because I wanted to diversify. So, you know, I I keep LinkedIn there, but I... Hmm. I, 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 I kind of feel like it's like flossing. I feel like LinkedIn is like flossing. Like we do it. We have, you have to. to. Yeah. We don't love it, but we know it's good for us. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think just we're found... right with Twitter. I think a lot of people are very wary and rightfully so of Facebook yeah. and Instagram. And I think that they just want no part. Well, I mean, I think a lot of people have aged out of Facebook. Um, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Or more not that I they've think... aged out, but like, Facebook has aged like Facebook hasn't attracted younger audiences. So, you know, Facebook is there. And then, and then I, I I, like, for me, I oftentimes think like, Oh, maybe I do want to start building on Instagram again. Cause there's so many fun features. But then I think I don't trust meta. (laughs) 
<laughs> a whole lot. So no, I don't, I don't know either. if I want to put myself <laughs> in in their world any more than I have to. And that's why I think it's really interesting, like Twitch and Discord mm-hmm. channels and Slack, and even Slack. I mean, obviously those aren't necessarily social media channels, but I just think that there's sure. a lot of places to spend your time and build a community and be a part mm-hmm. of a community without necessarily Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, that's fair. I think that's a good point. So let me ask you this. You mentioned, you just mentioned that you like to build audiences on platforms that aren't owned by the same company. Is yes. that is that um, intentional in the sense that you teach that to your clients as well? And if you do, what does that strategy do for people? Well, yes. So I absolutely tell it to people because oftentimes I will... So with Downstage Media, we offer three different tiers. So there is a do-it-yourself option where we will set you up with courses to learn how to run your business, to learn how to market your business, to work on your messaging. We have a done-with-you option where it's sort of a 45-day marketing live stream, arts accelerator, we call it, where in 45 days, you can get your marketing all squared away. And then there's a done for you option where if people are like, I don't know the time, please just do it for me. And then I just say, yes, I will happily do so. Um, So anyway, so with the DIY or with the done with you, that's oftentimes where I'm sort of sharing with people how they can build. And I will oftentimes say, don't, don't, first of all, so many people think they need to be on so many different platforms and you just can't build very well. It's just too time consuming. Yeah. So I like to say, just pick two and then build your email as well. So two social media platforms and email. Um, Okay. That's okay. That makes sense. So that's, yeah. So, um, because email you own. And the reason I want to diversify is because, so for example, um, this past June, I was (laughs) working on a launch for a nonprofit that was that's called places please and it is designed to help people who are in the theater who are trying to come back to new york city who can't afford to come back because they weren't able to work for a year and a half and so we kind of help them out with um rental assistance so big press all of the people on the board except me had been nominated for tony's like this is a big deal And this is a big launch and we're all really excited. So awesome. We get a ton of press and. We are also brought to you guys by Monarch Social. Now, Monarch Social isn't just another social media marketing company because they're going to take care of you on all your digital marketing fronts from SEO to beautifully designed websites to custom videography. And if you want to know more about that, you got to check out the video they did for me. Uh, on the Thinking Project Facebook group um, because it was absolutely phenomenal. They absolutely killed it. Morgan and his team take really good care of you. They walk you through every step of the process and the communication is on point. So if you need a custom video, a beautifully designed website, if you need uh, custom social media ad campaigns, Monarch Socials, where it's at. They also have a podcast they release every Friday where they bring you a ton of value. So check them out monarchsocialbrand.com or you can find them wherever uh, you're on social media because they're probably there too. So check them out monarchsocialbrand.com and get your digital marketing rolling. The day that we launch, we get kicked off of Twitter. Um, Whoa. I have no idea why. We have less than 100 followers. 
anyone who would go on to our Twitter handle would get a, it was like warning, there might be a problem with this content. Like it was crazy. And I was trying to figure out why. And five days later, Twitter sent an email and said, oh gosh, we're so sorry. Sorry for any disruption this may have caused. It's like, yeah, you're like, what the heck? (laughs) Right, exactly. But I feel like if that were Instagram, say, it's highly Mm -hmm. possible that we could have been kicked off of Instagram and Facebook at the same time. And then we would have had zero options. So what we did was we were building on uh, Instagram and Twitter because we didn't have Twitter as an option anymore. Then we're like, okay, then we'll go Instagram and Facebook and just try to get those as much of those um, press articles out as we could. So that way we could get, you know, all the grants and blah, blah, blah. We had like this $50,000 match. Like it was a big deal. So we really needed Mm -hmm. to get all that press out there. So that is one reason, just like being randomly put in jail, having no idea why. <laughs> I am. I was working with the editor-in-chief of a magazine who his account on Facebook got hacked. So he's the victim here. Yeah. And um, they got hacked and wanted to put up a ISIS flag. And Facebook flagged his account and totally kicked him off the account. And he's the main person who puts up all like, or who at least like runs the team that puts yeah, up all yeah, of yeah, their yeah. articles and all this stuff on the Facebook page. So the Facebook page for the magazine was also affected. So oh, at dang. any time, even if you think you're playing by all the rules, you're doing everything right. You can very easily get kicked off of the platforms. So I yeah. find it, it's really good to make sure that you're not building on the same platform or platforms that are owned by the same company. And you're always collecting email addresses, phone numbers, other ways that you have control over. Because if you lose all those followers, they're gone. You have no yeah, way of contacting yeah. them. So right. If you have their email address, if you have their phone number, then at least you've got an MMS list, you've got an email list, you've got something that you can work with. No matter what happens, you can take that with you. But if all of your YouTube subscribers go away, all your Twitch subscribers go away, that's it. And I saw that happen a lot with, I mean, Dalton, I'm a bit older than you. (laughs) And so I've seen platforms come and go. I mean, I've seen Vine go. Yeah, what the heck happened to Vine? What the heck happened to Vine? And it really was, and it really was like almost overnight. Like that was bananas. And there were people who had millions of followers on Vine. And And it was only like, it was only like two years. Vine was only a thing for like two years. Right. I feel like. And the people that it was a thing, it it was so, it was such a flash in the Mm -hmm. pan. Mm -hmm. And, but it, but there were people who had really built a following on there. And then that following was gone. In a second. Yeah. Yeah. Overnight. Well, and yeah, your story reminds me of earlier this year when Facebook and Instagram shut down like the whole day, like nobody could post all day, like everything was off all day. Um, And that was, that was kind of a eye opening experience for everybody because it brings up what you just mentioned, which is like, you got to have an email list. You got to have people like cross follow you. Um, But I think the email list was more important. Yeah. That was like, if you wanted to, cause if you wanted to get some out that day, like if you had a launch that day and you were on Instagram, you were screwed. It was it. And there was nothing you could do about it. 
Right. Or if you had spent money for ads or whatever Mm -hmm. it was, it's not, it's not like, you know, meta was, was coming to people later on saying, we're so sorry. (laughs) Right. Here's your ad spend back. I mean, you know, it was, it wasn't a lot, but, but it is, it is a good reminder. So I think it's important to diversify. And I always tell that to my clients, which nobody wants to hear. Nobody (laughs) wants to hear it because they all want to be on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. Oh, that's banana. I got off Instagram actually. I'm, yeah. I'm not. A, I'm on. I'm. A, I'm mainly on uh, Twitter. Like that's my main, um, and uh, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Like those are my kind of main ones that I'm on. Yeah. I just didn't. I just couldn't. Like I'm fine. Like I do a podcast. Like we have nice video. We have, but I just uh, video was more time consuming yes. for me than than writing, and it wasn't like you know, I couldn't have figured it out, but I was like, writing for me was just more like, I also feel like Twitter uh, and LinkedIn are writing platforms. And uh, I wanted to kind of change my attitude towards social media. I wanted it to be like a good outlet, something I could learn. And like, if I'm writing down, you know, if I'm scheduling tweets for the next couple of days and I'm spending an hour writing, like that's good for me personally. And so I was like, I just didn't, it wasn't good for me to like sit in front of a camera and worry about how I looked or what's happening in the background and, or like, how am I going to edit this? Like, so I just got off Instagram. I was like, ah, right. Well, I'll often say to people, it really depends on where you're, it depends on where your strengths are and where your audience is. So Mm -hmm. if your strengths, your audience and the zeitgeist, right? So there's a reason Mm -hmm. why we haven't talked about Snapchat right now, right? It's just not in the zeitgeist as much. If it plays to your strengths and it's where your audience is, then don't worry about the zeitgeist as much. But so if you're kind of, yeah. Well, I was just going to ask you, I'm not familiar with, is it zeitgeist? I'm not familiar Zeit. with that. Zeitgeist. Zeit. Like okay. what's, what's okay. the buzz? Oh, okay. I'm like, oh. Man. Like what are people talking about? What's the buzz? Where are people? So like right now, so a few yeah. years back, Snapchat was in the zeitgeist. Right now, TikTok is okay. more in the zeitgeist, right? Okay. That's okay. Okay. That's fair. But now you know why I'm on Twitter, because I am a word nerd and Twitter is a good place for that. Yeah. Um, Twitter is a great place for writing. Yeah. It's a great place for write. It's a great place for standups. If you are, though, like um, if you're an MC, if you are like charming and fun and witty and or, you know, if you're a dancer, if you a dance school, if you I mean, there are many places where video is wonderful, especially in the performing mm. arts. So yeah. you, you want to use video or if you have music, you know, if you're a musician, then you want to maybe do lives and have them in a, in a, um, you know, on video, things like that. And it's yeah. really, really important. But like you, I have found that it's just, it's just not a, uh, it's a not a medium for me, but I think it's really important to figure yeah. out what's going to work for you, what's going to work for your audience and what's in the zeitgeist. Oh yeah. That's a great point. Um, and you were bringing, we were talking about, um, well, I had this question come up like while you were talking, I was like, I wonder if she talks about this with her clients. Cause I've heard of a few like social media marketers kind of run into this and it's kind of the buzz, like chasing the algorithm. So how do you mm-hmm. have that conversation with people about, you know, cause I would think, that you try not to chase the algorithm, but is there some like, because you, I don't think you can like a hundred percent, but how do you have that conversation? And what are your thoughts on that whole process? 
Yeah, it's really hard to chase the algorithm. Oftentimes, unless you're a professional marketer, right? Unless you're being paid to market your stuff, to market someone else's stuff or your stuff. Being consistent is more important than chasing the algorithm because Mm -hmm. you will find yourself spinning your wheels. Mm -hmm. That said, if you are going to lock in to just simply two platforms, then it might make sense to find whoever the person is that you trust to give you information about those two platforms. And then maybe every, every year, every couple of years, you know, take an online course, brush up, just mm-hmm. learn about it. Just so you have a basic idea of, okay, this is how the algorithms change now. This is a new feature. I didn't realize how I could use it to my advantage. Now I understand how I can use that feature better. Okay, great. But if you're running another business, mm-hmm. if you've got, if you've got to launch your book, if you if you're going to launch your show, if you're going to do anything and you're just trying to let spread the word about your stuff, choose simply two platforms and go deep on those platforms, learn what you can Try to do like, you know, some best practices, two or three, but don't freak out about them because it's in the freaking out that you're either going to waste a lot of time or you're going to get burnt out so fast. Yeah. Because you're going to be doing the thing that you don't want to do. You don't want to be marketing (laughs) your thing. You want to be doing the thing, whatever that is. Yeah. No. And that's great. I think that's great advice because I think people get lost in that. They want, um, you know, they want a hundred thousand followers or whatever overnight. Um, or they like, they, they're like, this is gold. I don't know why people aren't looking at it. And it's more of like, yeah, it's more about, about consistent quantity and consistent quality, like over time and letting people, cause I, that happens to me a lot. When I find somebody I like, I'm like, Ooh, I really like that. Somebody liked it on Twitter. You know, you can see what everybody likes. Um, yeah. and then you go in there and you're like, wow, I really like that one tweet. And then you find out they have like a you know, they've tweeted a hundred thousand times. You're like, well, I can really learn something. (laughs) You know, this is a book by itself. Right. Um, Right. Or, or Facebook or, or, or whatever. Yeah, Um, exactly. Whatever it is. Right. Find, find that thing. Um, But if you're trying to, if you're trying to chase the algorithm, if you're trying to chase three and four algorithms between Twitter, (laughs) LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram, I mean, you're going to be chasing your tail. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, and, and it sounds like for most people, unless you and you mentioned, unless you're a professional marketer, it sounds like for most people, just pick two platforms, start putting out content regularly, and then go from there, and then just right. start building. Exactly. Okay, that's cool. And then email capture and things like that. Go ahead. Yes, email email is important for sure, um, and putting out content and engaging. So by engaging, I mean like reply to people. I took three months from August to like October of 2020, where I was not putting out any original content on Twitter. I was Mm. a a little depressed. The theater industry was in pretty rough shape. I had to completely rebuild my company because I had been doing done for you social media before. And then all of a sudden, People were like, we don't, we, first of all, we don't have a show. We don't know when our show is ever going to go on again. And Mm -hmm. we don't have the money to be paying extra people. 
So we don't need any social media right now. And that's when I really made the change from social media to digital marketing, because I realized Mm -hmm. anyway, so many people didn't have the foundation that they needed. And then putting social media on top of it, just like, if you don't have an email list, then you can have millions of followers. But again, you're going to be like Billie Eilish that they just mentioned in the times (laughs) last week. She has millions of followers. She did not sell the amount of book sales. They thought that she was going to sell. And everyone's like, this is so weird. She has so many followers. It's like followers are different than buyers. They are very different people. So anyway, so I was rebuilding my Mm. company and um, I only replied to people and I only would, I would either reply to people or retweet. And I used to have the stats on this, but I think I grew my followers by like 75% and my reach was considerably higher. Yeah. And I just, but really what happened was I started to actually get to know people Mm -hmm. on Twitter. I got to know who they are. I got to know the stuff that they put out. Like Dalton, I know you love to put out so much about sales techniques, but then also empathy and how you say things versus what you say and how important that is. Like (laughs) I started to really understand who the people are that I'm following and I didn't want anything from them. I didn't want their email address. I didn't want them to buy anything. I just built relationships with people. And so engaging Mm -hmm. and replying to people, replying to every comment, or at least your first 10 comments, if you have a lot of comments, like just Mm -hmm. let people know that they are heard. Like let people, Mm -hmm. so take the time to do that. If you're on somewhere with hashtags, use the hashtags, like whatever it is. But I usually say like about 10 minutes 10 minutes a day, even if you do it two to three times a week is really helpful. And then also consistently posting content. Yeah. So it's yeah, not absolutely. just putting out content because I heard somebody say the expression post and ghost the other day. <laughs> I no, but I, I mean, it's pretty intuitive. It, it's pretty intuitive. Like, right. Like it makes ghost, sense. Like, like, oh yeah. Post and ghost. I get it. Like, so you don't want to do that. You want to actually build relationships <laughs> with people. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so tell me, you brought this up. We're going to talk about a few things before we go, but you brought this up, that Billie Eilish hadn't sold the books that she wanted to sell, and you said followers don't equal buyers. Okay, let's have that conversation then. If somebody's building an audience on Twitter, on Instagram, what do you do? Because, yeah, because you're right. Like, on Instagram, what is it, like a 15% engagement Right, like a fifteen percent. If you have a fifteen percent engagement, like that's pretty decent on Instagram. Is that oh, what that's I excellent on Instagram. I just looked this okay. up because I was just speaking at the National Arts Marketing Project conference last week. So okay. part of my thing was um, engagement rates. The average engagement yeah. rate is 0.7%. percent. Point seven percent. Yes. So okay. The, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That is how that is um, for Facebook, for, for Instagram, it's 1%. So Hootsuite and we are social every three months, they put out a report. And so this is the one from October of 2021. Whoa. Yeah. I was going to say, so yeah. So like 10% to 15%, like if you had that on, you know, like I had like a thousand, yeah, I had like a thousand followers and uh, on Instagram before I left and I would get like 20 to 30 likes and and I was like, oh, okay, cool. I'm right there. That's it. But that's who's supposed to be seeing it, you know? And and so um, to think that like you could 
you know, I, the, the stats that I heard when I was really going deep on Instagram before I kind of bailed on it. Cause I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but the stats that I was looking at were like, you know, you have like a, you know, a five to 10, maybe 15% engagement, uh, on your post. And then maybe only like 1% or less than 1% will actually do something about the post. Like, will actually right. like accept your call to action. Sure. Um, which I thought was bananas. So how do you, so, so what's the, what else do you throw in the mix to, to engage with your followers, to get them to interact uh, with, with something that you're selling? Because I mean, some people do, right? Like you, you have a book and, and, uh, and, and something good and you want pe- your followers to buy it, but you know, only 5% of your people are even going to see the offer. Right. So there's a couple of different things. So the first thing is, so I, I'm hearing you ask a couple of questions. One of the okay. first questions that jumps out is how do you get people to engage? So okay. a lot of times what I like to do is I talk about five different content buckets. Um, I have a Facebook group called the Performing Arts Entrepreneurs. And so we just did a five week series about what kind of stuff to put in your what in your content buckets. So one of those buckets is just engagement posts. These are just fun Mm -hmm. posts. They're polls. They're open-ended questions. They're fill-in-the-blanks. They're yes-no questions. They're this-or-that stories. All of this kind of stuff that's Mm -hmm. just out there to get your audience to engage. This is good because you want your audience to not feel like they're always being sold to. But also, when they engage with your content then they are more likely to see your content the next time around. So Mm -hmm. that way, then another one of those content buckets, 20% of the time is when you actually ask your audience to do the thing, or you actually Mm -hmm. tell your audience about an event you have or a lead generator that you want them to download or a thing that you want them to buy. Right. So that's what happens another 20% of the time. Okay. So 20% of the time, one, let's, let's just keep it easy. One day a week, if you're posting five times a week, one day a week, you specifically do an engagement post. Another day a week, you do what I call promotions, initiatives, events, right? Um, that's another day a week. Another okay. day is, I like to say like um, long form stuff. So like if you wrote a blog post, if you like... This podcast episode, I would put in that if you are sharing an article that someone else wrote, like something long, Mm. so like long form curated content, that's another bucket. Another bucket, the fourth bucket would be just general stuff, problem solving, obstacles, myth busters, memes. Yeah. Uh, think, you know, just sort of, just sort of generally helpful stuff that's going to go mm-hmm. in there. And then the fifth bucket, like the fifth day of the week could be just anything random. Um, yeah. so that's what I like. That's how I like to have that mix. And if you're doing that consistently, then you're getting people to engage and it's good that you're getting them to engage because then a couple of days later, if you're going to ask them to do the thing, to buy the thing, to download the thing, you've already gotten a little bit of engagement from them. And then meanwhile, yeah. other days of the week, you're giving, you're putting good stuff in front of them. You're putting good articles in front of them, general, helpful tips, tricks, info, that kind of stuff. So you're only selling mm-hmm. to them 20% of the time. 
So that's what I mm-hmm. find really, really helpful. And then also being very strategic about whatever the link is that you're pointing people towards, right? Mm-hmm. So like Instagram only gives you certain links at certain times. A lot of people default to their website. Well, it doesn't have to be your website. You can tell them to yeah. go to the place to download the thing, right? So yeah. it's sort of using then what you do have strategically as well. So that way, when they are encountering you in other places on that platform, they're still finding out about the stuff that you do. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Um, I like that. And there's, and there, you know, it, I'm so glad I like that, that you like that, <laughs> but, but <laughs> I, I think it's cool because a lot of people get so caught up. And so when you get to hear a professional, like talk about, this is what you should do because there's so many like noises out there of like, no, this is how you post on Twitter. No, this is how you post on Facebook. Like, don't do this, do that. Right. And it's, you know, so it's very refreshing when you just get to hear somebody just, okay, this is what you should do. Well, uh, you know, on a podcast. There is a lot of noise out there. That's why I really try to only follow a couple of gurus. Right. And oh, um, yeah. so, because there's, there, there's so many people out there, they are so smart. They know so much information. And I, <laughs> I think that they're all great. Anyone who is putting stuff out there, I'm sure that you're very, very good at what you do. But yeah. if I focus on too many of them, I'm going to be pulled in too many different directions. So yeah. I usually at, at any time, I'm probably only really keeping up with three different thought leaders in okay. my space because otherwise it's just too much and it's too confusing. And then I start to doubt myself and blah, blah, blah. But it's just like, <laughs> nope, this is what we're doing. I'm following these people. Yeah. So. Yeah, I I do the same thing. I posted on Twitter about that the other day. I'm like, you know, here's a few people that you could follow uh, for good sales stuff. I like to follow people that I don't agree with. That's where Ooh. I, that's what I like to do. <laughs> Cause I'm like, Oh, okay, cool. Uh, Cause I learned when I was learning how to write like business writing and like copywriting, one of the things that they taught in copywriting was that I, the couple courses I took and, and classes I went to was a good like good writing is good editing. Uh-huh. And, uh, and they're like, if you want an instant idea, like go follow somebody that disagrees with you. And mm-hmm. then, uh, and then, cause like, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is a quick prompt, you, right? Yeah. It's like, Oh, you, like you're wrong. Like now you have something to write about. Right. All right. Cool. But I like it too, because then it keeps me, I, I, I like to say it like keeps me honest. It makes me justify why I believe the things that I believe. And um, to me, that's important to, to make sure that, you know, because you get in this rut of like, like, you know, you mentioned earlier, like, so I believe that it, to be successful in sales, you have to lead with empathy. So some of the people I follow believe that, you know, you should just not necessarily do the opposite, but, but, um, you but know, you're more leading of with like something a, else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Leading with something else. And so if you get caught in, if I get caught in this rut, like, oh, yeah, I just do what I always do. Um, but then I see something like that. I'm like, no, the, you know, why, why do I think that that's wrong? Why do I think that I'm right? Um, and it just kind of gets it going. And I've changed a lot of my thoughts doing it, doing that way, but it's good for me. So smart. You know what that makes me think of? My husband is a songwriter. And so my husband's one of those people that his mom was a professional piano player. He started playing piano when he was four. He plays piano, (laughs) bass, guitar. Like we have a whole 
set up in our house and there's cool. instruments all over the walls, like everywhere. <laughs> and so my husband knows a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton, not only about songwriting, but about music theory and really understands the language of music. Uh-huh. Meanwhile, his songwriting partner doesn't know music as deeply as he does. However, mm-hmm. when they're writing songs together, one of the things that I think is really working with how they create together is that my husband might say, well, I think it, you know, it should be this lyric and we should do it and it should sound like this. And then his partner will say, well, are you sure? Does it have to be? And then just in asking that and thinking that then he'll really say, ah, no, it does have to be that for sure. And it really helps him understand like, this is why this has to be and not just take it for granted that right. his musical instinct or his lyrical instinct or his melodic instinct is the way it has to be, but actually that it's a justification and a reason. So I can understand by following a lot of people mm-hmm. who have a differing point of view to yours could then help you to understand like, yes, but this is why I believe this because blah, blah, blah. And here's why I right. think it's going to work. And here's the data that I have to back it up and, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and a point to bring up, um, one of the things that you wanted to talk about was how anyone can learn marketing and business by looking to Broadway, right? Yeah. Um, because it, I mean, and that's a perfect, that's a perfect entry to that, to like that topic, which is, you know, because, and I follow a lot of people to like sharpen my sales skills. I I follow a lot of people who aren't in sales. I follow a lot of people who hate salespeople. Right. And I don't really right. know what that means because like, in my view, we're all salespeople, but I'm curious. And you know what? You got my attention. So I'll listen to you. And, and you know, and I'll kind of like, so what, what do you mean? Like, why don't you like that? Um, but I really do think that your perspective can widen when you go into other, um, like we were talking about before the podcast started, when you go into other avenues and you explore these different things. So tell us how people can learn from marketing by looking to Broadway. Well, Okay, so I think that when you are marketing a show, you need to fill seats. It's very quantifiable what needs to happen. Not only do you need to fill the seats that one night, you need to, like I'm working with someone who has a run of a show that's coming up this upcoming summer and it's 10 weeks. So 10 weeks of filling a theater four times a week, right? So there's an urgency there. And if you don't sell those (laughs) seats, then your audience is going to be looking at empty seats. Your audience is going to feel that awkwardness that there's only, and, and this is, again, this is also like one of the reasons that I got involved with marketing, because Mm -hmm. as I said at the beginning, the show that I was in, I was like, guys, I think we can get more people to the show. The show that I was in would oftentimes cancel if there were less paying audience members than people on stage. There were five people on stage. You would be shocked at the amount of times that this show canceled. It was brutal. And not only that, but the times that they didn't cancel when there were only six 
or seven or eight people in the audience, (laughs) that was worse. So if you can think of whatever it is that you are selling, right? If there's a, if there's Mm -hmm. a new service or a new product in your product line, or if there's a new something and you could think of it like, this is something that we need to get people here. If you have that urgency and if you create a date, right? So with shows, there is an opening night. That night does not change. Like the fact Mm -hmm. that it's been malleable because of COVID is really shocking to the industry because that never happens. You have your opening night and that is the night. Your press is coming. Like all of this stuff is happening. Mm -hmm. It it goes up on that day, whether or not. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And I think that that's what so many different businesses can learn from that. If this is your launch date, you, it doesn't have to be as per, it's never going to be as perfect as you want it to be. It's mm-hmm. never going to be completely ready. That moment in a show to translate to your business, that page on your website, that part of the lead generator, that email that you have in your email nurturing sequence. I mean, I'm talking about all marketing stuff, mm-hmm. but of course mm-hmm. it could be yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. it is that you have in your business. You of course know all of your different businesses. Yeah. Listeners. Um, but <laughs> It's that thing where if you think we've we've got to fill the seats and also theater makers know how many seats there are. So they know how much money they can make. So if you were to think to yourself, I want to sell a hundred of these and I want to sell a hundred of these four times this week, right? Because I'm going to have a four show week or, you know, Broadway is eight shows a week. But when you think, when you start thinking of it that way, then you start having a much clearer sense of what your sales goals are, what your revenue goals are. And Mm -hmm. a lot of, if you were to start to think of it the way that theater people do, we've got to fill these seats. We've got to think of it like we've got to fill these slots. And what can we do Mm -hmm. to get people excited for this? What's the kind of stuff that we can be doing to get the word out over and over and over again? and get people excited about what's happening and show people why it's relevant, then that I think is something that is universal that anyone can learn from in any of their businesses. But another aspect that I think is really lost and that so many businesses could really learn from as far as the performing arts is concerned is the idea of putting on a show. (laughs) Yes. And I don't mean like being inauthentic, but what I mean is like, you know, you, you go to a show and people on stage, even if they're just doing like a pre-show speech, they look nice. They look nice for that show. There is something, you know, there is a polish to that show. Those people know their lines. Those people Mm -hmm. are ready. Their costumes look sharp. Their wigs look good. Their mics sound good. So if you put that same attention to detail and the customer's experience, mm-hmm. the way that in the theater, we think about the audience's experience, mm-hmm. that can really transcend your business because you start thinking instead of, you know, this is what I have to do. This is my business. This is the thing that we're selling, but really say, what is the experience that we mm-hmm. want our customers to have? Then you start to really change things, you know, like when 
theater does it right, the second you walk into that lobby, you already have a sense of like, oh, this is going to yes. be a thing. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, this is going to be cool. Yeah, this is going to be this fun. Is oh, okay. They're doing it. This. Oh, look what they, okay. This yeah. is a good deal. <laughs> and if you can think to yourself, like, what are the elements that I can, what, what are the elements of theatricality that I can bring into what I'm doing to really, so if, I don't know, if it's a dentist's office and you want your audience to feel, you know, you want your patients to feel a certain way when they come in. How can you do that? How can you make them feel that way? Oh, interesting. Right? Yeah. So, wow. I, I think well, there's so much to learn that way. There is so much to learn that way. I mean, I have a couple things as you were talking that I was writing down that I was like, yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. You know, when you're talking about putting on a show and you're talking about everything is right, you know, that's kind of what I teach um, salespeople or, or like small business owners who, who have to sell something uh, is like that confidence. And so how do you bring that confidence to your, to yourself? Because one of my favorite quotes for sales or one of my favorite sayings is competence breeds confidence. Mm -hmm. And, and well, and, and then confidence, like people judge you off that. Like, so Amy Cuddy wrote a book called presence where she said, people judge you off of two things. They judge, they judge you off of, of warmth and competence. And so I would take warmth to be that confidence level. And by the way, they judge you more on, on warmth than they do warmth and confidence than they do on competence. So yeah. like, so do they know and do they care? And people care a little bit more about how much you care than they do about how much, you know, right. um, or at least I, I'll have to go back. Well, they want, I mean, laughing. they want to know that you know what you're doing, but yeah. they, but they also want to know, does this person get it? And can this person fix it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, because like in my, and that's been my experience in sales, like, where I've, I've been in an, in a situation where like I might be new to the company and I might be new to the product and they'll give you a little leeway on it. If they can feel that you're genuinely interested in helping them solve a problem, you know what I mean? Like if you're, if you're genuinely there to help, they'll give you a little bit of grace on, on product knowledge. If you're, if you're honest about right. certain things, you know what I'm saying? They'll give you a little bit. Um, they won't give you a lot. Like <laughs> I've had salespeople, you know, you got to know something, you know, you can't just say, I don't know the whole time, but they'll give you, they'll give you a couple if you, if you, if you genuinely care. And, and so I like that. So putting on a show, like, how do you want them to feel? And, and, uh, and well, things and like that also, is very like, important. What you're saying makes me think about when we would do improv, Right. Hmm. So I, I used to do a 90 minute show. I had no idea before the show began what <laughs> I was going to do. 90 and minutes. Yeah, it was a 90 minute show. It was me and three other people Wow. and a piano awesome. player. And we would tour around the country. We'd go all over the place and we'd wow. get suggestions from the audience and we would use that to fuel our show. And <laughs> it's not fun for the like it's, the audience has fun when they can see that you're struggling a little bit but they need to know that at the end of the day you're a pro. So like this whole idea yes. of like not yeah. knowing what we're going to do on stage that feels okay for the audience because they know that you're going to take care of them that you're actually a professional. It's not like we're going to put someone yes. on stage for 90 minutes who's never done this kind of thing before. Yeah, because right? that's yeah, that's cringy. 
Because then that's, yeah, it's cringy. It's painful. Like nobody wants that. But they right. like seeing they like seeing you on the tightrope a little bit if they yeah, know yeah. that you can handle the tightrope. <laughs> and so I think that also comes into play quite a bit. Oh, that, that's a good point. Yeah, that's cool. You know, that you you can yeah. really think about about your audience's experiences and saying, look, I've got this. I'm a, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm a pro. I've got this. You're going to sit back and we're going to let you know what's going to happen. You're going to have a great time. You're going to have a great time tonight. Yeah. And if you think to your to your buyers, to your customers, how can we make it so that way they're kind of they're ushered to their seat, right? Can you let them know? Like just even think about the whole ticket mm-hmm. buying process, right? You get yeah. your ticket, you walk into the theater, somebody says to you, you're going to go right over there, you're going to go up to the stairs, you're going to head up to the second floor. Think about then in your business with your marketing, if you have a plan. It's like first we're going to do this. We're going to sit down and we're going to talk about it. Then I'm going to give you a, an estimate. And then afterwards, mm-hmm. we're going to get started. That's not that mm-hmm. much different than saying, okay, you're going to go up to the stairs. You're going to find the usher there who's going to give you your program. And then you're going to sit down in seat D3. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So all of that, those kind of elements that make the audience feel safe and in good hands, you can use that in your business. You can use that in your marketing to have the same transformative experience mm-hmm. that people have in a night at the theater. Mm. Yep, that's it, huh? That's great. Wow. And you know what? That that reminds me. Now you me have because... to go to the theater, <laughs> and, and now it's a tax write-off. You'll go to the theater, write off your ticket because you could be like, "I'm doing this for my business." You can, and that's totally legitimate, by the way. Um, but it did yeah. make me because one of the things, yeah, you do, and well, just what you outlined is something that I teach. And I do as a salesperson, like, and that's very important for customers, you know, to line out exactly how this is going to go down. And, you know, next year we're going to do this. And because, um, you know, another thing I learned from psychology is, you know, and kind of the psychology of sales and the psychology of people is everybody's telling themselves a story. And if you, if you're not helping them with that story, the story they tell themselves is always worse than the reality of the situation. So you got to you got to always be like helping control the narrative and control isn't the right word manage the narrative of the situation right mm. and and it's by doing that it's by like all right here's what's going to happen next here's what has happened hey, here's you know what i'm saying kind of leading yeah. them and managing that because yeah because like i said the story that someone tells themselves is always worse than the reality of the situation right because if you if you were to say to me Annie direct a movie. I would be like, I, I, have, I have absolutely no idea. I don't know where I yeah. would start. I, there's no way I could do that. But if yeah. you gave me a book that was like 10 ways to direct a movie, like 10, the 10 <laughs> steps to directing a movie, I have such delusions of grandeur all the time that I would be like, oh, I can totally do this. <laughs> yeah, I can absolutely do Listen. this. Well, you mentioned earlier um, <laughs> to not, you know, oh my goodness, it just, it just flew out of my head. But but yeah, like, um, oh, oh, one of the things that you were talking about, I actually wrote this down, was opening night, you know, treating right. every opportunity. Like when you said that, I was like, oh, man, people should treat every opportunity like opening night. Like done Love is better that. than perfect. You know, done is better than perfect. You know what you got to do. That's what I did when I wrote my book. Uh, I wrote a little sales book. Um, and by little, I mean, it was it was. Don't say yeah, it's it little. little bit, it was a little, you know, not long, though. But but I I 
heard somebody say that you could do pre-orders on, on a gum road. And I was like, all right, December 1st is going out no matter what. Boom. It doesn't matter if I have one chapter written or if I have 15, it has to go out. And, uh, that was actually one of the coolest experiences of my life. And, and it was that what you described, but I like the way that you described it better. <laughs> I'm probably going to coin that and I, and we can both use it. Anybody can use it, but okay. treat every opportunity like opening night. Yeah. Cause that's a cool thought. And then when you think about that, and then you think about how when a performer does eight shows a week and they have to make every show feel like opening night. Dang. Right? So you that think about that. would be a tall that. order. Yeah. That's a tall order. And that's what theater professionals do every single week, week in, week out. Yeah. And so think about then. So yes, if you think of your launch of whatever it is as, as an mm. opening night, but then if you think about every time that you're in front of a customer, every time you're in front of a patient, as that is another, like, that's another show. That's another yeah. opening night. And, mm -hmm. you know, you think about, and it's, it's hard. You build up stamina, mm -hmm. right? You have to, you have to do mm -hmm. that. I mean, luckily I was in an improv show, so I didn't have to worry about saying the same thing over and over again. But I would just think about, you know, people who are in Phantom of the Opera or people who are in long running shows that just are yeah. saying the same things and doing the same things over and over again. And every night they are making it fresh and they are finding new things and they are making it alive and exciting for their audience. And if yeah. you can hone that for your audience, every social media post being excited about what it is that you're doing, excited yeah. about what it is that you're doing for your customers or what it excited about what your customers are discovering from yeah. using your products, right? All of that stuff <laughs> yeah. is really exciting. And if you can bring that enthusiasm and excitement, even if you have to, you know, manufacture it a couple of times because it's a Wednesday matinee and you're really, really <laughs> tired. <laughs> that's that's awesome. Well, um, I really appreciate your time. I know it's like where you are, you've been more than generous with it. Um, and, and I really appreciate all of your insights and coming on the show. And before we sign off. I want to give you the opportunity just to tell us about your, your business a little bit more, where people can find you, how they can get involved if, if they want to do that. Yeah. So you can go to downstage.media. And I actually have a, a video that I made the other day, which is five marketing missteps most artists make. And oh, I wow. have to be, I have to be honest. It's it mean, just people make them like business. It doesn't necessarily yeah. have to be artists. Like don't tell the I'm artists sure. because right. artists are very sensitive. But anyway, if you go to downstage.media slash arts dash accelerator. So if you go to downstage.media slash arts dash accelerator, you're, you're going to find that and how you can download the video to get that, um, to find about those five marketing missteps most artists make. But you know, again, cool. don't tell the artists. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> hey, thank you so much, Annie. It's been a it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Dalton, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much.